You're listening to the Emotional Abuse Recovery Podcast, episode number 20. Today, I am interviewing financial dignity coach Christine Lucan. Christine is a personal friend of mine, and she coached me after years and years of financial abuse by my ex. And our goal for this episode is to help you repair your relationship with money after financial abuse. So if you've struggled with the aftermath of an abuser using money to control you or manipulate you out of your own money, then stay tuned because this episode is for you. Welcome to the Emotional Abuse Recovery Podcast a podcast specifically designed to help you heal after a toxic or narcissistic relationship. This podcast teaches you to use your subconscious mind to go from feeling stuck to set free. In here, you will learn how to use the power of your own mind to free yourself from emotional pain, move forward with confidence, and experience the inner peace you deserve in your healing journey after emotional abuse. I'm your host, and subconscious reprogramming coach, Allison Dagny. So let's get started. I am super excited to bring a wonderful guest on the podcast today to share some really important information. So I'm going to go ahead and let you, Christine, introduce yourself. (laughs) Thank you. Um, I'm Christine Lucan. I'm known as the financial dignity coach. I am also a certified divorce specialist And I have been coaching uh, both couples and divorcing women uh, for 14 years now. Uh, I'm also the author of several books, including Money is Emotional. And my most recent book, which I actually interviewed you for, uh, Financial Dignity After Divorce, A Woman's Guide to Healing Her Relationship with Money. Yes. And both books, I actually have three books um, yes. and like a boss too. Um, yes. which I have read all three and they're all three phenomenal. Um, and you are, you have been my coach and I know you coach a lot of people. And in today's episode, what I really want to focus on is talking about the financial abuse piece, um, because there's so many people out there who experience this when they're in, as you know, and you and I'll like for you to share a little bit about your personal story too. But yeah. you have experienced financial abuse because within any sort of um, dynamic that that's involving domestic violence, there is that element of financial abuse. And I think it's something like ninety eight percent of all relationships that have um, abuse elements have financial abuse. Is that right? Yeah, uh, physical. Um, it, it's ninety eight percent in physical abuse cases. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think they have the statistics for emotional abuse, Mm -hmm. but I have to believe that it's, it's quite high just based on my experience with my clients. Right. Well, and as you probably know that if there's physical abuse, there's emotional abuse. So yeah, part part of it as well. So tell us a little bit about your story. How did you become a finance coach? What's your personal background and experience with this? I know you have a a lot of information out there, but um, for people who don't know you, tell us a little bit about that story. Yeah. So I hit financial rock bottom at age 26, despite having an accounting degree. So you might think, oh, (laughs) you're the person who should have known what you were doing with money. And yes, that is true. 
And a good reason, uh, a good part of the reason why I so thoroughly messed up with my finances is because of the dysfunctional relationship that I was in. Um, I dated and became engaged to a guy who I call Jeff uh, to protect the not so innocent. (laughs) But, you know, it was just he well, first of all, he wasn't he wasn't good with money at all. He did not grow up in a family that had money. Um, His family had a lot of dysfunctional uh, mindsets about money and about people who had money. And he was very manipulative. So this was a codependent relationship, which I didn't even know what that was until I left the relationship and got some counseling. But essentially he was like, he was more like my teenage son than a true partner. You know, he was in and out of jobs and in and out of jail. And I just thought if I loved him enough that he would change and he did, he got worse. So after (laughs) being with him for seven years, despite having my accounting degree, despite most of my college years working for banks, you know, once I graduated, I started, uh, you know, working for an interior decorating company, doing their accounting. Then I moved on to uh, a manufacturing business, which is actually my my family's business. And I was doing the budget for this multi-million dollar company. And yet I was bouncing my own checks at home. And in fact, when um, when I was hired by the family business, they um, everybody has to go through the same procedures that any other employee has to go through. And uh, my background check came back with a charge that said theft by deception. Oh, no. Dismissed. Oh, no. So theft by deception means you wrote a bad check. Right. And you didn't make good on it. And I actually had to go to court for that, which was extraordinarily embarrassing. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, my ex was just very good at... Um, at manipulating me into doing things with money that I normally wouldn't have. Uh, He would say things like, well, what's more important to you, me or money? (laughs) Or what's more important to you, love or money? Right. As as if these things are two like mutually exclusive things. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when I was ready to leave the relationship, my bank account was negative. My credit score, I don't, I don't think it's possible for a credit score to be negative, but like <laughs> whatever the lowest possible credit score there is, that's pretty much what mine was. Um, you know, I was behind on every bill that I had. Um, I had no money to move out. And so I had to turn to my family for help, which was, you know, I mean, as, as a young adult, you know, that feels very shameful to have to go back and move in with your parents after you've been off on your own for a while because it makes you feel like you're a complete and total failure. And that's basically that's basically what I felt like when I left that relationship. However, that was the, the very best thing that could have happened to me. And, you know, on my journey back to financial health, I learned a lot of things. I learned a lot of things by going through it the hard way. 
Um, but I really became interested in the psychology of money and the emotional side of money because here I was, someone who was an honor roll student, got all A's in my math and accounting, and yet it didn't translate into my behavior. And so that's when I really started to get very curious about, you know, why do really smart people do dumb things with money, right? Because most of us, I, you know, I bet if I were to poll a hundred people, 99% of them would agree with the fact that we should spend less money than we make, that we shouldn't have too much debt and that we should save money for the future. And yet there's so many of us that, that are not doing those things. And so back when I got interested in this, there wasn't the explosion of personal finance advice out there. Um, the behavioral psychology as it relates to money and personal finance was really at its beginning stages. Um, and I just pretty much devoured everything that I could get my hands on because first of all, I wanted to make sure that this never happened to me again, but I also gained this compassion for other people who were experiencing the same kinds of things because I knew that there was a different way to do it. And in fact, I remember probably about a year after I left my ex, um, I was driving to work one day and the thought struck me that I wasn't worried about money. And that was like a total shock because the, you know, that whole seven year relationship, I was always worried about money. I mean, sometimes I was a little worried about it. Sometimes I was a lot worried about it, but it never went away. And I don't think I realized the weight of that emotionally until it was gone. Well, how did you, I mean, that brings me to a really, um, <laughs> a revealing question. How did you come to that feeling like that sort of revelation, um, that shift, I guess, from where you were feeling all the worry and all the stress about it? Like, how did it shift? Well, I, you know, I wasn't necessarily even out of debt at that point, but I had a plan. I was working my plan and I was seeing tangible progress. Like I was seeing things getting better week over week, month over month. Now, of course, not having a grown man child, you know, <laughs> taking half of my money that obviously helped the situation quite a bit, um, you know, but a lot of it was my own behavior changes as well. Okay. So what about, so let's talk a little bit about the money as emotional piece. It could because. Mm -hmm. That, um, you know, uh, as you know, and I know you do a lot of work with with mantras and affirmations and things like that, which is, you know, tapping into the subconscious mind. Yes. When you talk about money as emotional, like, what does that mean? Can you explain that? Yeah. And most of the time when I say money is emotional, people are like, oh, yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's interesting because I I didn't I didn't even find this out until after I published Money is Emotional that science has proven that the moment of decision happens in the same part of our brain that processes emotion. So we literally can't make any decision, financial or otherwise, without emotion 
being part of the equation. And I really got frustrated with the financial advice that was present out there in the world because I saw a lot of people saying things like, just make the logical financial decision and leave your emotions out of it. And that's literally asking people to do things that are impossible. And what I had found was that, you know, people would try to improve their finances and they would read a personal finance book or they would take a course or a class, you know, and they were usually given like some sort of like checklist, like go through these seven steps and then you will have financial freedom. And then people would come up against these emotional roadblocks that would prevent them from making progress, right? They'd get into these self-destructive loops and then they would feel ashamed because they didn't really know why they were happening or how to break that cycle. And so rather than, than getting help, they would feel ashamed mm -hmm. and say, well, you know, this doesn't work for me or I'll never be good at this. Mm -hmm. And then they would just give up because they could see that there were other people that it was working for. And right. so therefore, if that checklist of seven things was working for this group of people over here, but it wasn't working for them, then there must be something wrong with them. Right. They must be broken. They must not be good with money or good with numbers. And so this is just something they're always going to struggle with. Right. Well, and that's what my experience was. And that's how I ended up coming to you because I had experienced financial abuse for almost 20 years and, um, and I didn't really, I mean, obviously, and you can talk a little bit about this. Um, we all have these money stories from, you know, programming from childhood, yes. you know, the day we're born, money doesn't grow on trees and, you know, we need, don't be wasteful because you're not, you're never going to know where you're going to get something in the future, whatever those things might be, these like thoughts that we are programmed to believe, but then, you know, people who are listening today, um, a lot of people have experienced the same sort of thing that I have in adulthood, right? About yes. finances and about mm -hmm. like what you had just said, I'm not good with money or numbers aren't my thing. And those were the things that I had been made to believe over the course of right. my marriage. Things like, right. you know, oh, just let me handle the finances because you're not really good with money. And, you know, I was like you, I was an honor roll student. I had all A's. I had all A's in all my math classes. Like it wasn't like I didn't do well in those the areas. Like I had right. a good credit score even. Like it was just the brainwashing and the manipulation through the mm -hmm. financial abuse that started to erode that in me. And so people who are listening to this are probably having similar types of feelings and emotions about money, right? About right. the things that they've been made to believe that really probably aren't true. They just happen to be part of a tactic that an abuser mm -hmm. impressed on them to gain right. control. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, money, money is power. Like if you have money and you have control of money, then you have a measure of power. And it's, it's very important for women, especially who are coming out of abusive relationships that they take back their power mm -hmm. with money. 
And that can be a scary thing to do because you have been told, you know, or you may have been told like you were, you know, I'm no good with money. You know, this is too hard for me. I'm, I'm not good at math. I'll just let somebody else handle it. And, you know, I could see immediately when we started coaching that this is not going to be too hard for you, mm-hmm. right? That you can do this. It's just that, you know, we needed to to build up your skills because you had basically been told, just don't pay any attention to this. And, you know, this is, these are the things that you need to be messing with, you know, or these are the things that you need to be in charge of. So um, the one thing I would love to tell everyone who's listening is that, you know, personal finance and money is not an innate ability. It's a learned skill. And it's something that anyone can learn, even if you're not good with math, because the great news is there are tools out there that do the heavy lifting for you when it comes to the math, right? There's things. Yeah. Yeah. There's a whole host of personal finance apps. I mean, good gravy. We've got a calendar and every single phone, right? So, you know, it's not like you have to do math in your head anymore, Um there are lots of great free tools that we can use to do the actual math part of it. And what I would love for people to start thinking about is rather than money or personal finance is something that I do, I want people to start thinking about money as them being in relationship with money, almost as if money is a person. Okay. So tell us a little bit about why that's so important because I know all about that, but my audience doesn't. So why is it important that we look at it in a different way? Yeah. Well, one of the things I love to tell people is when you're married, money is like the third person in your relationship. And even though you are leaving your ex behind, you and money are going to be together forever. If you think about it, Almost every day you're interacting with money. You're spending money, you're earning money, you're managing money, you're looking at your money. It's like it's like food, right? Mm-hmm. Money is almost as pervasive as food. There's rarely a day that goes by that you don't interact with your money in some way. And we intuitively know that we should have a good relationship with food and that it's supposed to nurture our bodies. And money is the same way. Well, we need to have a positive relationship with our money because the ultimate goal of money is to support our happiness, not to stress us out. Right. And we have so much emotional baggage when it comes to money. And it takes a lot of time and effort to start unraveling that. Um, And it really can be a lifelong process. You know, even when we get our personal finances to a point to where we feel really good and solid and confident in our relationship with money when it comes to our personal finances, well, then we might find ourselves starting a business. And then we start to see, oh, now there's all this other mindset stuff relative to money and business that I didn't even know was there because I've never owned my own business before. Right. Or as you start to build wealth, you have more responsibility, you have 
more things to think about. Um, you know, you've got things like estate planning and, you know, you have to do more complicated tax planning, insurance, you know, all these other things that come with wealth. All of a sudden we're uncomfortable or we have baggage around that because we we didn't have to deal with that when we were living paycheck to paycheck. So, right. you right. know, there, there is a good side to it, but there's also like the responsibility and the shadow side of the next level of success. Right. So when you talk about, you know, having that positive relationship with money versus the negative relationship, and a lot of people who have been in an emotionally abusive relationship or in any sort of um, situation where, they've been made to believe that money was the enemy or that they weren't good with money or that they needed to stay out of the finances because they just weren't smart enough uh, because right. these are things that people hear all the time. Right. Um, how do you get back to that positive relationship with money? Because a lot of people, like you said, there is, mm. there is like an, it's icky. Like, I don't want to, oh, some yeah. people don't want to have money <laughs> at all. Like they're just like, right. I just, but like you said, it's there every day. We have to deal with it. We have to pay our bills. We have to make money. You know, it's not something that can just go away. So how do we strengthen right. the relationship and make yeah. it positive? Yeah. Well, and, you know, I think if we want to just like back up a step before we talk about, you know, how do we make it more yeah. positive? Um, you know, there's, there's a couple different patterns that I see. Um, one is that money feels like a stranger. Mm. to us because and I think that was kind of how you felt correct me if I'm wrong where you're just like oh my god now it's me and money and yeah yes you know I got a decent amount of money for my divorce settlement but I'm like it it's like living with a stranger I don't know what to do with this person right so we have to get reacquainted um, there are other people who feel like um, maybe the way that I did not that money was used to control me, but that, you know, because I was the breadwinner that, you know, I really didn't protect money. You know, I had kind of felt like I had allowed Jeff to misuse and abuse money almost as if like money was our child and I didn't protect money the oh, way I should that's have. That's a really interesting way to look at it. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing is where, and, and this one is probably the most extreme. And I used this quote in my book, um, another financial coach had a client who said to her, I hate money. It feels like a prison that was used to control me. So in that situation, I actually told a story in uh, financial dignity after divorce and it it was some movie or TV show that I, I watched forever ago, but it just like the image just cemented in my brain where, you know, this woman was imprisoned and she had this really, you know, she had this prison guard that was standing out there and, um, you know, she grew to hate the prison guard, you know, because he was one of the big boss's henchmen, but she grew to realize that the guard was actually also a victim of the crime boss, you know, he had actually tried to advocate for her to get her like an extra blanket and more food. And, you know, she witnessed him like getting beaten up and, and kicked by the boss's henchmen. And she realized that 
you know, even though he was standing guard, that it wasn't his choice to do that, you know. And then, of course, you know, at the end of the movie, when chaos ensues at the at the henchmen's, you know, crime lab or whatever, that the uh, you know the guard helped her escape, right? Okay. So, you know, for some people, they can feel like, you know, that money you know, was actually used to imprison them in that relationship. But what we have to understand is that it wasn't money's choice, right? But we we have basically entangled our abuser with the money. Whereas, you know, money is just a tool. So if you could imagine, you know, if if someone was hit with a belt, they might be afraid of belts for the rest of their life. Right. But it's you know, a, a belt is just a neutral and actually object. useful object to hold up right. pants, right. right? But, you know, because we had this, it was wrapped up in this traumatic experience, you know, it's, we may actually have to do some, some work, emotional work, whether it's, you know, with a financial counselor, whether it's with someone who helps with emotional healing to entangle money which is really a neutral thing from the abuse and from the abuser which right. you know was our ex so you know that dysfunction can surface in multiple iterations depending on the dynamic of the relationship that you had wow yeah that's really really insightful because i don't think a lot of people especially um, like in your case, you know, you were the one that had the money, right. Yes. And some people that is their situation and yeah. they get manipulated to mm-hmm. give up the, all their money or, you know, bail people out or pay for cosign on a car or, or whatever, you know, when they didn't really want to do it or didn't feel comfortable doing it, but still were financially abused in that way. And right. so kind of, you know, when it all becomes so like commingled and like distorted, you, it's hard to like actually, um, look at it outside of a tunnel vision. Right. And, and right. step back and see like, okay, hold on. Money isn't really the enemy here. Money, right. like you said, is literally just, it can, money can be used for wonderful things. Money Absolutely. to help people, money can be used to start a business, money can be used for donations and to do all kinds of amazing things. But it can also be used, like you said, as a tool to hurt people and to mm-hmm. you know maintain power and like different things like that. Yeah. So if it feels like you said, if it feels like a stranger or if it feels right. like there's some negative attachments to it, we have to do that work. So that, Mm -hmm. you know, we can use the money in the best way possible for ourselves and for our kids and for whatever projects that we have, our businesses and things like that. So it's really, really important because I know for me personally, it was that stranger. It was like, I don't even want to look at it. Like I did not (laughs) want to even look at it. It was scary. It was very scary. Yeah. So detached. Well, that's why you brought me into your situation. It was almost like, you're like, Christine, come with me and and help me figure out how I'm supposed to relate to money. Like, I yeah. don't I don't feel comfortable doing this alone. Right. Like, 
help me interact with money in, in a healthy way. And yeah. that was a process. Yeah. And it was so important because I couldn't be doing the things that I'm doing now if I always believed the things that I believed before. So if I believed right. things before about money that, you know, um, money is tight and, you know, we have to, you know, conserve it and I have to save every penny and I don't deserve to spend money on myself. And I, you know, like that is a very unhealthy and dysfunctional way of looking <laughs> at the money that I'm earning and the money that right. I'm making for myself. So yeah. I, and really I remember telling you, I want you to go spend some of this money. Yeah. And you were like, what? I was a little scared. Yeah. Well, because I mean, you, you, you know, my story in my book, like I, I used money as a weapon Um, at the, you know, kind of beginning stages of when I left because I was so angry, you know, and mm-hmm. that's a piece too. Like, I think you wrote a story in your book about the lady who, bought that red car that yeah. I don't know what kind of car it was, Yes, but like I, I was using money as a, as a punishment as like a, um, what do they call it? Retail therapy, you know, and yeah. there's all like just really unhealthy ways of, obviously that was before I met you <laughs> that, part <laughs> of my, that part of my book. And I, you know, I don't do those kinds of things anymore, but really getting back to um, a, a healthy relationship with money, like you said, because it's yeah. almost like another person. Yeah, it is. And I think the first step for healing that I have all my clients do, especially if there is some sort of, you know, dysfunction from the past is writing a letter to money as mm-hmm. if it's a person, because that will kind of, that will uncover what is that narrative is it that money feels like a stranger? Is it, you know, like in my situation where I feel like I didn't take good care of money, you mm-hmm. know, and I allowed it to be abused and misused? Or, you know, do I feel like money was used to to hurt me? Mm-hmm. And so just like getting it out on paper is very revealing, yeah. you know, because then it's like, you can kind of read back through that letter and be like, oh, wow. Okay. So I can see why Mm -hmm. I am not doing well in this aspect of my personal finances, because this is what I believe about money. Right. Um, And then as a follow-up, usually several days later, I will have people rewrite the letter as if they had an amazing relationship with money, you Mm -hmm. know, as if like, money is my boyfriend and he is taking amazing care of me and we are so in love and it's it's just amazing and wonderful and I can't say enough good things about money um you know and what does that look like and sometimes people need to rewrite their letter line by line and you know counteract those negative things yeah um and then they can kind of start looking at what are some tangible things that I need to start doing? And when I talk about just in general with people, you know, gauging your relationship with money and improving your relationship with money, some of the things that I suggest are, you know, paying attention to what you say, what you think and what you say about money. Obviously that's very much in line with the work that you do. You know, Mm -hmm. what are those things that you are, continuing to say to yourself because there's a part of your brain called the reticular activating system and it is a filter. 
And so when you say, I never have enough money, making money is hard, it will repel anything that doesn't match what you are saying to yourself. And it will attract things that you are saying. So it will attract all kinds of evidence that you're never going to have enough money and that making money is very hard if you continue to say those things to yourself. And so we really need to start paying attention and, you know, you can start a note in your phone or, you know, on a pad of paper and, you know, leave it in your office or your kitchen whenever you catch yourself, right? That's the first thing is that awareness of starting to catch yourself saying things. Yeah. Um, And I think that is working with a coach is so helpful for that because, There are so many times with my clients, and I'm sure I've done it with you, where I, we're talking, and then all of a sudden I will say, all right, stop for just a second. Mm -hmm. What did you just say? And you're like, (laughs) what? And I'd be like, what did you just say like 10 seconds ago? And then you're like, what did I say? And then I repeat it back to you and you're like, oh my God, why am I saying that? (laughs) Yeah. You don't even realize sometimes we don't pay attention to our thoughts because they're so automatic, right? They just have been going on repeat for so long and we have to actually step outside of ourselves and pay attention. That happened to me the other day. And I actually did catch myself in the moment because I said something like, um, oh, I know what it was. I had cash in my wallet and I normally don't have cash, but um, I had like, I don't know, like a hundred dollars and 20, $20 bills or something that I had gotten out. And the kids were wanting to stop at the store and get some stuff. And then one of them needed money for something. And, and as I, as I'm pulling money out of my wallet, it's like disappearing. Right. Cause it's just, right. here's 20, here's yeah. 20. And I'm like, all my money's disappearing. Like, that's what I said out loud. And I caught myself and I was like, wait, no, I shouldn't, I shouldn't say that because (laughs) I'm putting that out there that all my money is disappearing. And I was like, no, my money's being used in helpful ways to support my children. Right. So I change it and reframe it in a totally different way. Yes. Um, And I, it is important. It's really important to catch yourself like that. Yeah. Well, in, you know, I, I think a lot of times, and especially in your situation, you were told that like spending money is bad and saving money is good. It's not true. Right. There's a natural ebb and flow with money. You know, we're supposed to save money so we can spend it, right? We save money for a new car so we can buy the new car. We save money for retirement so we can spend it in retirement. There's nothing, there's nothing bad or wrong about spending. And one of my favorite mantras that I love to use with my clients is that money flows to me and Mm -hmm. through me in ever increasing amounts. Oh, I love that. Right. Because it's like, as I receive more money, I'm going to spend more money. Heck right. yeah. Right. I'm well, going to donate more money. Yeah. Of course. Right? right. I mean, at what point have you saved all that you need to save? Right. And right. If your money keeps increasing, then it's meant to be spent. It's meant to be given away. It's meant to be enjoyed. <laughs> right. You're just hoarding <laughs> away money for no reason. Like, like you know, for what? Right. right. Now, if we have a set purpose for it, you know, right. and you know, your financial planner says, well, you're on track. You're, you're putting in X amount per year. You don't need to put in any more than that. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's interesting because you had mentioned the reticular activating system. And I am absolutely fascinated by that. Um, and if you're listening and you are not familiar with that, go onto YouTube and watch some videos on the RAS, the reticular activating system, because, and I don't know if this was in your book, you'll have to tell me if it was, or if I read it in another book. Um, but there was a study done where they, they had these people who some of them believed that, uh, money just came to them. Like money just like was just always coming to me. I find money in weird places, like in my pants out of the dryer and, you know, walking down the street, I'll just find like a $20 bill. Like people were, they had a Mm -hmm. group of people for that. And then they had a group of people who believe something different, who believe like, I never, I never find money. Money's not available to me. Like they had all these different beliefs about money and they sent these people on like a walking trail and they had money placed in not really like hard places to find, but, you know, just scattered throughout. And the people who believed that they found money actually found the money and the people who didn't, which it was in in obvious places, didn't even see it. So that's how the reticular activating system works. It's what you believe and what you think about in your subconscious mind that it will show you more of that. So changing and giving these little shifts in how we think can be really, really transformational to our lives. Is that, I mean, is that how you understand? Yes. Yes. No. And that, that story is, uh, in financial dignity. Is it? (laughs) I knew, I knew that. I was like, I knew I read that. It was probably in your book. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Because it, it just illustrates it so beautifully. It does. It's such a cool story that, and I do, I mean, I find money and I say it to myself and I'll just, you know, the other day I was taking a walk at my kids, um, practice and just walking around the parking lot. I found 35 cents. (laughs) I was like, yeah, 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 I found 35 cents. But if I wasn't thinking about finding money or like money Mm -hmm. is helpful to me, I probably would have never seen it. Right. It's just interesting how your mind is, is designed to filter out the things that you tell it are not important and Mm -hmm. filter in the things that you tell it are important. Yeah. Which can, and I love that you were excited just over 35 cents. that's, That's one thing I tell people is that be grateful and be excited for all of it. Every amount, like every penny, every dollar, every hundred dollar bill, every thousand dollar client, you know, whatever it is, you know, we want to be cultivating that, that gratitude and those positive feelings about it towards money, no matter, you know, what the amount is. Absolutely. I love that. Okay. So what are the things that, um, you could tell people listening in my audience, you know, who may have experienced these kinds of devastating effects of financial abuse where they've been programmed, they've been conditioned to believe negative things about money. Um, there, these things are on repeat, right? They're just really on this like ingrained path in their mind. What are some things that you could tell people to help? So the first thing I would do is, you know, in addition to listening and paying attention to the things that you're thinking and saying, Start Mm -hmm. writing those down. Okay. And then what we want to do is we want to create a better thought to replace that. Now, one thing I have found is that if you've been telling yourself, I'll never have enough money, it's hard to go from, 
I'll never have enough money to I'm a millionaire. Right. <laughs> right. Now, no, isn't is gonna that a better that. thought? Yeah, it is absolutely a better thought, <laughs> but it's not just the thought. It's how that thought makes you feel. Right. So if you start saying I'm a millionaire, I'm a millionaire and you're living in government housing, that thought may not feel good. Right. So I call these bridge thoughts, right? So maybe the ultimate thought is I'm a millionaire. Mm-hmm. What's the next incremental step? So instead of saying, I'll never have enough money, maybe we can start saying, I have enough money, all my needs are met. Right. right. So Even though that might feel like a stretch. Right, but it's taking a little step because right. what happens is if you say, I'm a millionaire or you know, I have floods of money or whatever, like you're not going to believe it. Your 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 brain is gonna think you're trying to tell it something that's not real. And it's right. not get behind that. So right. I love that you have that idea of like it's smaller steps, right? Not yes. not trying to make this huge jump, but taking right. smaller, more realistic steps to what you're thinking. Right. Yeah. And when you get to that point to where you're like, all my needs are met. Mm-hmm. All right. What's what's next? Mm-hmm. Right. So then we can say all my needs are met and I have five thousand dollars in savings. Right. And then when you're at that point, that might feel like a stretch if you only have one hundred dollars in your savings. Right? right. But, you know, if it still feels good, mm-hmm. then then that's your new mantra. Right. And so it might take you 10 mantras to get up to I'm a millionaire. Yeah. For you to be able to say, I actually believe this might be possible. Right. 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 So I think, you know, a lot of people that teach manifestations and mantras, they kind of skip that and they're just like, oh, just say the ultimate goal. Like I want $5 million. Right. And it's like, well, if you haven't been through these incremental steps, mm-hmm. that feels like pie in the sky. That's never going to be exactly never going to be true. And actually when you say it, if it doesn't feel good in your body, then it's never going to happen. So we need the thought to be an upgrade from our old thought, but it also needs to feel good. Yeah. It needs to feel reasonable and it needs to feel like you're not just, you know, gaslighting yourself or lying to yourself about something and woohoo and rah-rah sort of, um, (laughs) you know, positive thinking, like, cause I'm not, I need, I don't, I don't really get behind positive thinking. Like people sometimes get that confused. It's not about positive thinking per se. It's about actually tapping into your subconscious in a realistic way. You know, what else, like you had said, what else is possible? Like, is it possible that next step that, you know, in a month from now I could have $200 in my savings account. Is that possible? If I take some actionable steps, if I do some Mm -hmm. things, Right. But if you're constantly right. feeling like I'll never have $200 on my savings account or I'll never have $5,000. Right. We have to right. change the way we think and, and realistically align that with what is possible. Like what else could right. be possible for me? Right. Now, is it potentially I could be a millionaire because I won the lottery? Sure. Sure. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, I, I like how you said, you know, taking the little, the actionable mm-hmm. steps because- mm-hmm. If someone is in a place where right now they don't have enough to meet all their needs and they think about, oh, this thought of I'm going to be a millionaire, 
what's the big question? How am I going to get there? How is like, I don't even know how to be a thousandaire. How am I supposed to be a millionaire? Right. And then here's what happens. You do nothing. Right. You do absolutely nothing. Right. But if you can say, all right, I want to go from not having enough money every month to having all my basic needs covered. Right. Right. Knowing that the groceries are covered, the rent is covered, the utilities are covered and you know, that I've got good warm clothing, Mm -hmm. right. If if I can have that, I can relax a little bit deep down inside. Right. And and then that opens up space for the next phase of the dream. Yeah. This is so important because, you know, a lot of times I think people just want a quick fix and they want like an immediate, um, shift in how they feel or result. Like we're a society that's just used to instant, you know, you turn on your phone and everything's ready to go. You, you know, pop your food in the microwave and in two minutes, you've got a a meal and Mm -hmm. it's different when you're trying to repair relationships in your life, repair relationships with money. Um, Mm -hmm. We have to actually get into the thinking, like what you said, replace a thought and then take small steps. We're building something, right? It's like putting a brick, one brick on top of the next in order to build something else. It's not going to just be, oh, I'm going to snap my fingers and open my eyes. And there's going to be this giant skyscraper. No, we have to take these little actionable steps one by one. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, it can happen faster than you think. Yeah. Um, You know, I've heard it said, most of us overestimate what we can accomplish in a year and underestimate what we can accomplish in a lifetime. Wow. Hmm. And here, you know, here's the other thing too. It's like, you know, sometimes we put artificial deadlines on things. Like if we say, oh, if I haven't accomplished $5,000 in my savings account by the, by December 31st. Yeah. Right. Like that's the goal. And if I don't reach it, I'm a failure. Well, if on December 31st, you have $4,995 in the account, are you really a failure? Right, exactly. (laughs) Because you didn't get to 5,000 until the following week. Right. So, you know, it's, we want to be celebrating the progress, Mm -hmm. not the perfection. And here's the thing. You're never going to behave perfectly with your money. I don't. I'm just going to let you know that. I'm not perfect with money. (laughs) There are some times where I spend emotionally. I am human. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, however, most of the time when I spend quote unquote emotionally, it's because I am spending out of positive intention mm. and out of the desire that this is something I really want and I have the money to pay for it. Right. So, you know, it's really shifting that that perspective of money is always going to be money and emotion are always going to go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. But if we learn how to have emotional intelligence around our money, right? So if we can learn how to, um, you know, kind of deconstruct these negative patterns, Mm -hmm. then we can make better choices and we can be interacting with our money from a more powerful and positive space than feeling out of control, overwhelmed or anxious. Yeah. That, and that's a big piece about this because, you know, 
when we talk about financial abuse and relationships and things like that, and, you know, this, this really applies more to people who have been uh, emotion, emotionally abused, financially abused, have moved on from the relationship or escaped from the relationship, and now are trying to repair um, right. that damage and that those b- beliefs about money that are then creating emotions, which are then creating habits. And a lot of times those habits can be really bad habits. Um, right. And you said you can't use that in ways that are good for you, healthy for you um, to help you be the best version of you that you can. All right. So is there anything else that you would like to share with the audience or tell us that I didn't ask you about? Um, well, I think one of the things that goes hand in hand with what we're talking about is um, spending regular quality time with your money. Okay. And when we think about any relationship that's important to us, you know, whether it's a partner, it's our parents, it's our kids, if we want to have a good relationship with that person, we have to spend regular quality time with that person. Yeah. And so I advocate that my clients have a weekly date with their money. Mm-hmm. Now, this doesn't have to be on Friday night with a glass of wine, although it can be if you want <laughs> it to be. Um, you know, just don't drink like a whole bottle of wine and then go on Amazon because that can be bad. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, this is just your weekly check-in where it's, mm-hmm. you know, you're you're checking your accounts, you're checking on your spending versus what you planned, Uh, you're paying any bills that need to be paid, making any transfers, you know, having that regular weekly check-in, it doesn't need to take a lot of time. You know, I mean, in the beginning, if you've been ignoring money, it's going to take longer in the beginning, but I'm sure you can probably attest to this. You know, now it's like, I probably spend about 20 minutes a week on my personal finances and maybe 10 to 15 minutes on my business finances every week. That's it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like I'm spending three hours going through multiple spreadsheets and, you know, it it doesn't have to be complicated, but if we want to be doing well with our finances, we need to be checking in with them on a regular basis. Yeah, that's a really good point because a lot of us want to just put our head in the sand and (laughs) not look at it. At least that's how I felt. I was like, and but I knew, I knew that I couldn't do that. Like I knew that that was the wrong thing to do. Um, That's why I reached out for help because I thought this is going to be really bad if, you know, because if I don't know what's going on with the money. I don't know how much is coming in or how much is going out. I didn't have a clue, you know, like, because it was something I just didn't want to look at, but now mm-hmm. so at the beginning, yes, like you said, yeah, the check-in was a little bit longer, but now it's just, I usually sort of like check in every day with it, but then, um, weekly week, every week I spend, you know, some time going through everything. And, and it's important too, because then you can see if like some, wacko charges come through on your account. Right. You're like, whoa, where did that come from? If I wasn't doing that before, I would have no idea. Um, it just gives you a really good picture of um, your your financial um, budget, what's coming in, what's going out. And, you know, if we don't know that, we can't really, um, 
we can't really be in control. And I think that's, right. you know, what, what was hard for me was that I didn't feel like I had any control when I was with yeah. my, my ex, you know, well, I didn't, you didn't, I mean, I didn't, no, I didn't. He was criticizing your coffee purchases and, yeah. and for that, I will always hate him. <laughs> <laughs> Cause you know how important my coffee yeah. is. <laughs> I know, right? I, too. I know. I definitely, definitely am with you on that. All right. So, well, thank you so much. This has been really, really helpful. One thing that I always ask my guests is, is there something that you could tell us about yourself that not a lot of people know? Something interesting. I still, at age 48, love to roller skate. Are you serious? And I am pretty darn good. <laughs> <laughs> I actually have my own roller skates. I'm actually looking at a new pair that are white with sequins all over them. Oh my. And I think I'm going to treat myself wow. for my birthday. So super exciting. Now, did you roller skate a lot when you were little? Cause I used to. I did. Oh, yeah, I did. Um, and usually at least once a year, I take all my nieces and nephews roller skating. And even as teenagers, they still love it, which is wow. great. It's fun. That's exciting. That's really cool. Well, thank you. And I'm still better than all of them. Although I'm (laughs) not faster. I'm not faster than my nephew anymore. We used to play, we used to play like gotcha last and like tag each other. He's now a foot taller than me. So yeah, yeah, Yeah. you better be He's finally got me there, but it it took even until he turned 15 to get to that point. So that's (laughs) Well, tell us where people can find you, find your books and get in touch with you, especially if they would like to work with you. Um, I'd love to hear so that I can share with them. Yeah. So if they want to go to my website, which is my name, christinelucan.com, if they look up at the the top toolbar there, they can click on the link for the various books. Um, I've got several different courses, or if they're interested in coaching, they can find everything there. And they can also find my books on Amazon as well and Audible. Great. Thank you so much, Christine, for being here. And um, I hope you have a wonderful day and definitely check out her books, check out her website and uh, reach out in the show notes uh, for the link. Thanks for having me. All righty. Have a great day. Thank you for being here with me today in the Emotional Abuse Recovery Podcast. I hope you found value here with me. If this podcast episode was helpful to you, I'd love for you to hit subscribe and leave me a review. My goal is to help you go from feeling stuck to set free. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook, and you can check out WhenTearsLeaveScars.com for more resources and information to help you with your own emotional abuse recovery. Until next time, here's to believing in